welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We like to talk about how many hats we wear, sometimes to show how valuable we are, other times to show how busy we are. But either way, wearing multiple hats is mostly a good thing. What we don't like to talk about is how many masks we wear and what they say about us. Teaching team member Steve Brown returns with this message entitled, Joy in the Morning, which covers 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Thank you for joining us today. Father, I thank you for Steve. Thank you for the ministry that you've given to him so broadly. Thank you that that ministry is here as well. And we pray now, use him in our lives. We thank you for him. Bless him and bless his family as we prayed earlier. We're grateful and we ask all in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Steve. I've missed you guys and I love coming here. I've been in a lot of places uh, teaching since I saw you last. And in those places, I brag on you, brag on your pastor and, and tell him that this is the best taught church in America. It really is. I keep thinking I'll run into one, but they don't even come close. Uh, and it's not just a staid understanding of doctrine. You guys laugh and you can always tell that Jesus is in a place by the way the people laugh. So thanks for having me back. If you uh, have your Bible, this morning we're going to be looking at the first letter of an old friend of mine, the Apostle John, and the first few verses of the first chapter of 1 John. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we're your people and this is your book. Speak to our minds and our hearts and then put it in our feet and our hands and our vocal cords so that the world can hear the laughter of the redeemed. Father, in this place, during this time, may we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet Forgive the one who teaches his sins, because they're many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife Anna and I spent a significant period of our life in the Boston area. I graduated from a graduate school at Boston University, and we served churches on Cape Cod and uh, in Boston. And two or three weeks ago, we decided we wanted our grandchildren to know about their American heritage. We wanted them to have memories they could build in a place they hadn't visited. Well, that's what Anna wanted. I didn't care. <laughs> So we went and we spent a little bit over a week visiting houses of dead people and uh, walking the Freedom Trail where dead people used to do really important things. We went to Plymouth where dead people had come to this country. We, uh, we went to Gloucester. We went to Hammond Castle. We, uh, we, uh, we went to Salem. And 
we spent significant period of time in the witch museum there. And I was telling somebody about it. 200 people were accused of witchcraft and 50 of them were executed. I was telling somebody and he said, Steve, tell me those weren't Calvinists. Yeah, they were. <laughs> Man, I tell you, we're a mean bunch. And when you go to the museum, you look at the pictures of the preachers and that's a sour bunch and that's my family. And then, and then you, well, Calvin started it. He burned Baptist. Bur that's true. He burned Servetus at the stake. You know, when I looked at the pictures and I thought about our heritage and our family and all that, I thought, you know, there is some pretty down dark stuff in our faith. This whole thing, we believe, started with two people who were disobedient and we suffer the consequences. That doesn't seem fair to me. A disease infected our entire world and we're suffering the consequences because two people I never met screwed up. Didn't you? And we're not big into progress. The cynical old preacher, and that's what I am, the one who wrote Ecclesiastes said, it's all vanity. You name it. Your job, your family, the goals you have, the visions you've set. It's all vanity. Every bit of it. It's like, he said, chasing after wind. And when you consider that our founder ended up spread eagle on crossbeams on the town garbage heap, crying that God had forsaken him, Kind of, you're kind of taken back. And then you read the book. Have you read the book of Revelation recently? That's not pretty. Blood flowing in the streets. Bowls of wrath being poured out. No wonder we kill witches and we're sour. No wonder we're so dark. And yet, and yet, the watchword of the Christian faith is joy. Our worship is called celebration. What's with that? Let me read you those verses I referenced. First John, the first chapter, starting at the first verse, and we'll see. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest in us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that god is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. For if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, 
cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Talk about a mix. A mix of dark and light. The place from which we draw the question, where does the joy come from? Please note how John, I love this text. That which we have heard, considered, that which we have looked at and hoped for has become real in our lives and we've touched it, so deal with it. For thousands of years, it's a part of human nature. It's the vacuum that won't fill with anything. Is there a God? And if there is a God somewhere, someplace, is he a child abuser? Is he a monster? Does he demand the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Does he care? Does he love? And very hesitantly, does he love me? There it is flesh and blood, walking our roads, reaching out, that which we considered and hoped for has become real. That, of course, is our joy. If you're not a believer, we're glad you're here. I have no idea. You're crazy. I wouldn't go. If I weren't a believer, man, I'd be playing golf or something. But we're glad you're here. But I know why you're here. Because you hope that maybe this could be true. Back in the days when I did Skeptics Forum, we had a psychologist, a lady who came. And when I told her what the Christian faith was about, she began to weep. And, and I was the only Christian there. And she said, oh, God, I wish this could be true. Don't you wish it were true? And what John says, we were there and we touched it. And that is our joy. And then he said, we write these things, the fourth verse, that our joy, and some versions say your joy, but the operative word is joy, that your joy may be full. We're a messed up bunch. And another time we killed off witches. We burned people at the stake. We were not faithful, we were greedy, we were into power and manipulation, but we're his, and therein is the joy. Now, I'm going to give you a principle, and if you get the principle, you don't have to listen to the rest of the sermon. Principle is this, there is a direct correlation between the majority of Christian depression and an inappropriate desire to avoid the dark side of the Christian faith. Say, so would you say that again? Yeah, I will. And slower for the slower among us. 
there is a direct correlation between most Christian depression and an inappropriate effort to avoid the dark side of the Christian faith. I remember early in our ministry, we had a lady on Cape Cod who was sweet and nice and Aunt B, but she didn't read books unless they had a happy ending. And she didn't watch movies unless they were happy movies. And she did not involve herself in the pain of the world. And she was dying. And the doctor said, you can't tell her she's dying. Those were the days when I used to think doctors were God. <laughs> My daughter married one. It ain't true. <laughs> but I listened to them. They said, we can't pay the nurses. And they won't work unless she signs a power of attorney. And I said, does that mean we can't tell her? And they said, no, you can't tell her. I'll never forget lifting her up on a pillow and, and guiding her hand over the power of attorney papers and I remember how dirty I felt and I thought then I'm never going to do that again I don't care if God himself says me to do it people need to hear the truth even if it's a dark truth and for the next 40 years at midnight I've walked the halls of hospitals and sat down with terminal patients and said I understand it's bad and you could die you want to talk and you have no idea the times I've heard, thank God, nobody will talk to me. Out of those times, and I have something to say, by the way, and out of those times has come joy because there is a direct correlation between almost all Christian depression and an inappropriate desire to avoid the dark side of our faith. Let's look, at, let's look at the verses that I read to you. Let me show you three or four things that illustrate that principle and you'll find helpful in your life. First, you need to know that no matter what your friends say about you being authentic, you're phony. Deal with it. Every one of us grow a mass. Please note, if you will, in the text that I read to you, it's verses 5 and then verse 7. In both of those words, John is talking about light. What does it mean to walk in the light? It means to walk without a mask. It means to say, this is the way I am and I don't like it, but I'm not going to pretend anymore because I can't stand it. I've been working on a new book that's going to be out this year. Whenever I do that, the angels get the giggles. They say, I can't believe it. the old guy's doing it again. Let me give you the title. It's called Hidden Agendas. How the masks we wear hurt us and those we love. As I've worked on that book, you know what I've discovered about myself? I'm the phoniest person I know. You have no idea. You have absolutely no idea what it's like to do what I like. It doesn't matter whether I'm angry and irritated. I got to get in front of people and I got to talk about God and people think I'm spiritual. I want to say, are you out of your mind? Let me tell you what I was thinking before I stu first stood up here. 
you know what? You don't know me. You don't know if I'm gay or not. You don't know if I'm, you don't know if I'm, uh, if I've been stealing from the monies in my ministry. You don't know whether I believe all this stuff. You know I talk good. What if I'm conning you? What if I made up all of this? What if I don't want to see? Sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I, let me tell you something about me. You know what I did one time? We went to Disney World. That's my second favorite thing in the world. First is jumping off buildings. <laughs> and uh, we went to that, what is that called? Wilderness journey, wilderness? Anyway. Yeah, well, what? And they had this performance on the stage and they always pick volunteers. And listen to me, they always look for the old ball guy. I mean, they do. They do. It's in the rule book at Disney. Look for the old ball guy. And I did it once, but only once. Now they come to me. They come to me straight up. And I say, son, get away from me. I'm going to break your face. <laughs> they go, whoa. <laughs> Let me tell you why I feel that strongly. They put a tutu. My family's saying, you, you be a good sport. Okay. So I get up there and they put a tutu on me. And I'm dancing like this up in front of that. That's when I found out there was a God because nobody in my family or our group had a camera. And they forgot it. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. You know what walking in the light is? telling you just what I told you. It's awful for me to tell you I danced in a tutu and that I'm phony and that sometimes I wear a mask and pretend to be something I'm not. That I'm, and isn't that awful? No. That makes me feel so good. I can hardly stand it. That means we can have fellowship. I don't have to pretend anymore. That means I'm free. That means I don't give a rip. That means that I can be what God has made me be and even mess it up and walk in the light and find joy. And that's where joy comes in the morning, in the darkness. But there's more in this, in this text. Listen, I don't care what your mother said. You're not a nice person. Deal with it. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately corrupt. And notice that John not only says it once, he says it twice in this chapter, that if anybody says that he's not a sinner, then he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's not very positive. That's very dark. You know what we did last Sunday night? Anna and I went to hear Rosemary Miller. Most of you don't know who she is. She was the wife of the late Jack Miller. And Jack uh, uh, was a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. I'm going to be teaching there next week, week after next. And I loved him. He uh, started Har Har World Harvest with hundreds of missionaries around the world. He taught a seminar called Sonship About Grace. And he was my friend. I've never taken the course never been on a mission field with these missions because they need a mean old preacher like me to defend them and if I'm a part of it then I can't do that 
And I defended him. Oh, man. Affected my life. Among other things, my favorite quote from him is the Bible can be clean, can be summed up in two sentences. First, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. And the second, cheer up. God's grace is a whole lot bigger than you think it is. Well, anyway, his widow, he died maybe 10 years ago. His kids are my friends. One runs a publishing company that I just wrote something for. And I love them. I love Rosemarie. A friend of mine wrote a very horrible book about that ministry years ago. And after he died, I called Rosemarie and said, don't worry, I bought all of them and burned them. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> I just love her. Let me t and she's 88 years old. She flew in from London. Her last book was written from her lectures she gave in India. She was in India and she gave these, these lectures were just wonderful. And she was very tired. It's late at night and they put two chairs on the platform and the pastor's wife, Debbie, interviewed her. And I thought she was gonna talk about, she's gonna raise money for harvest, world harvest. She's gonna tell us about the thousands of people she had touched for Christ. She was gonna tell us the difference that God was making in the Muslim. She works in a hard area in London with Muslims and they're coming to Christ in droves. And we wanted to hear about that. You know what she did? 88 years old. Now I'm as old as dirt. She's a lot older than I am. 88 years old. She godly example to us you know what she did she confessed her sins what's with that she, she said y'all pray for me and i thought she was going to say as i work with muslims she said pray for me said we i have a lady who travels with me and said she's such a delight and people are attracted to her and she loves people and 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 uh, and i like that until i found out they're not attracted to me and they're attracted to her and then I started being jealous. And then I became really jealous. And I thought, I don't believe I just said that. And then she said, and I'm still struggling with it. Will you, will you pray for me? And then she started giggling. You believe, what was she giggling about? Senile? No. Because she was free. Didn't have to pretend. She knew about John 1, 11 and 12, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're not a nice person. And out of that reality and the joy of redemption and forgiveness, every time there is laughter, that's the joy in the morning. Well, not only are we phony and not only are we bad, some more bad news. I don't, I don't care how many times you go to the gym or how many vitamins you take, you're going to die. I mean, you may die healthy. <laughs> but you know all you guys that go to the gym eight times every week and give up everything that's good and fun. You know what's going to happen. 
when you die, you're going to be like a ship going down with nothing to throw overboard. <laughs> Not me, man. I do it all wrong. And, uh, but you're going to die. I heard on the news the other day, and please, you can find this here in the text, where uh, John talks about, uh, it's in verses 1 and 2. And this is the message. And then he talks about eternal life. Heard in the news the other day that if you, if, you, if you have one alcoholic beverage a day, it lowers your risk of dying. No, it doesn't. <laughs> that's a dumb, that's idiot. Who, who dreamed that up? You don't lower your risk of dying. It's one out of one, okay? Everybody dies. <laughs> You've got to deal with it. I, uh, we have a guy in, on our staff. His name is George Abheider. And I met some people this morning that worked with him in California when he was with Crusade. He does all of our production and video work. And he was telling me last week, a couple of weeks ago, and we called up this guy and listened to and got the facts so I could tell you about it. There's this man who was a good friend of George's. His name was Walden, and he was in a motorcycle accident. Well, not actually. He was under a bridge during a rainstorm, and a car came by and killed him, hit him, killed him. He was in his 50s. He loved his family, and he had a grandson who was three or four who was wonderful. Just wonderful. And they thought, because this little boy loved his grandfather so much, they weren't going to tell him that the grandfather had died. But they would find an appropriate time later and, and let him down, land the plane easy. So they told this little boy to go out and play. He was out playing in the front yard, and they were planning for the funeral. And after a while, the little boy came in and said, uh, Papa is with Jesus. And they said, how do you know? He said, he told me. And he told me not to be afraid and that it was okay. You're going to die. If you're happy with that, there's something wrong with you. Do you know, you know that Charles Spurgeon, maybe the finest teacher, expositor of Scripture in the last 200 years in the church, I still, re I still assign his book, Lectures to My Students, to my students because it's still relevant. Do you know that at night when he would go to sleep, he would picture himself in a coffin? Is that weird? He would go to sleep picturing himself in a coffin. What was he doing? He was kissing the demon on the lips. He was running to the hard place, the dark place of the Christian faith. He was facing the reality of his own death, and out of that reality came the joy of the dead rising to praise the God who brought them back. I'm not happy with death, but I don't know how to get to heaven without doing it. So I've given up eating brand, and I'm eating a steak a day. <laughs> and the reason you laugh and the reason I laugh is because out of the darkness, nobody faces death in our culture. What idiot would say you reduce your chance of dying? You can't do that. 
And, uh, but we do. We face, we run to the dark because you, you can't get home without dying first. And there's joy there. And there's one other thing. Uh, please note that twice in these verses, he talks about fellowship with us. I don't, I don't care what your wife or your husband says, you're not lovable, okay? <laughs> I've been in the church for a long time, and trust me, I know this. Uh, you look lovable when you sit in a worship service like this, but I know what you're really like. Church is hard. Augustine's, she's a whore, but she's my mother, is accurate. The church is a hard, man, do we know how to fight? I have never heard a pagan say something bad about the church and about believers that I didn't want to say, you don't know nothing. I could tell you stories that would curl your, t you don't know anything. Paul says, I write these things that we may have fellowship. It's hard. It's a dark place. Man. Church is hard. I love it, and I don't know why. Uh, when we were, I started by telling you about New England. When, and it was 97 degrees. I'm going into these. You haven't lived until you've gone into a house with a guide that's devoted her life to the study of a quilt hanging on the... And, and I just want to say, I don't care. I mean, I really... And I was just, you know, and I, just, I was doing my best not to ruin it for everybody, but I, but I wasn't doing really good. And we have a granddaughter. In fact, all three of our granddaughters are better than yours. And, and we, we have the littlest one is Courtney. And so we're walking down the street outside of the granary uh, burial ground, and I'm really, I just want to go home. I'm hot. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of dead people. And I feel something on my hand. And it was Courtney, and she stuck her hand in mine and squeezed it. And she looked up, and she said, Hi, Pops. It's all right with you. I think I'll walk with you for a while. That's what the church has been doing to me all my life. We're porcupines trying to hug each other, but so many people have come alongside when I wasn't lovable, when, when I'd sinned, when I'd fallen, stuck their hand in mine and said, I, I think, I think I'll walk with you a while. If I were lovable, that wouldn't be a source of joy. If I were really this nice person, that wouldn't be a source of joy, but I'm not. And yet I've been loved by him and by you. And that causes me want to laugh and laugh, and it's joy in the morning. You know, you know, and the worship guys might want to start making their way up here. You know, one of my favorite people in the world is Malcolm Mugridge. He was probably the most known face in all of England. In fact, the British Empire. He was the editor of Punch magazine, and he found Jesus when he was an old, old guy. And he wrote a book called Jesus Rediscovered. One time there was this elitist, snooty, theological bunch at a conference in California who were looking down their arrogant noses at everybody else. And Mugridge was going to go there and speak. And they had a panel and they were criticizing the national religious broadcasters and making fun of them. Now I'm on the board 
of the national religious broadcasters. <laughs> there, and there is a lot to make fun of between you and me. <laughs> but they were doing it in an arrogant, mean way. And they didn't realize that Malcolm Mugridge had slipped in on the conference. And he stood up and he said, gentlemen, could I say something? And they looked and they thought, wow, that's Malcolm Mugridge. And he stood up. He said, I've just come from the convention of the national religious broadcasters where I spoke. And I wanted you to know that I've been a Christian for such a short time. And I love the name of Jesus so much that whenever it's spoken, even poorly, I love to hear the name of Jesus. And you could have heard a pin drop. Mugridge did a lot of television interviews after this change in his life. And Bill Buckley asked him what that felt like. And he said it, it felt like a piano player in a brothel who occasionally plays abide with me for the clients and for himself. My favorite quote is that humor and good taste do not go together any more than chaste and whore go together. <laughs> he was earthy and he was real. But let me, let me tell you a great quote. It's relevant to what I've been teaching you. He said, I never knew joy until I gave up my obsessive search for happiness. And I never really lived until I died. If you listen to what I taught you this morning, you understand. You think about that. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.